0: listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Sterling Chapman. I'm joined here today by Justin Smith. He's the founder and CEO of Relequity Enterprises. Justin, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Sterling, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. For those of y'all who uh, can't see the Golden Gate Bridge in Justin's background, he's joining (laughs) us from the Bay Area. And uh, we were just talking before the show about how jealous I am of the weather you guys are having out there. Justin, can you tell us a little bit about your history, kind of how you got started in the industry, how it evolved over the years, and kind of what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, no, appreciate that. You you know, Sterling, you know, I don't want to say I'm one of those fairy tale stories, but I will say that I started off pretty young wanting to be into the whole real estate development and, and construction world that I'm in. I started off thinking, I want to develop, build, and own my own city block. So that, that was in my mind, nice. right? That, that's really what I wanted. Like, and, and I'll tell you how that came about. That came about because growing up in the Bay Area, major urban city, right, and so there's always kind of some, some action, you know, some development going on, some building going on and that type of thing, right? And I had a spot that I used to love, me and my brother used to love to ride our bike through this dirt acreage, right? And we'd ride through it on the way to school or walk through it on the way to school. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like some fences came up. And then we saw these like dinosaur-like equipment. We call them dinosaurs, but it was like... It was excavators and backhoes and trucks and people with hard hats and all these different types of things, right? And that took away our little spot, right? And so we were a little (laughs) bitter about that, but it was still fascinating at the same time, right? So lo and behold, what they built was a set of Victorian homes, just like they took this whole area. It was great because it it really kind of invigorated the neighborhood. It changed the face of things. Yes, it took our dirt bike spot, (laughs) But <laughs> but it was definitely transformative, right? And that got me like really thinking like, oh, wow, you can take a city block and you can do that. You can actually take a, what I call my dirt patch and turn that into a city block. So that really got my juices flowing and really got me into this whole lifelong journey of developing, building, owning a city block. Awesome. So
0: what was your first step on the journey? You know, once your interest was sparked, how did you start pursuing it?
1: Well, you know, a number of different ways, you know, whether that was working the summers with my uncles, you know, kind of doing residential repairs. And I I was probably the gopher, you know, and I, you know, mixed concrete and pushed a wheelbarrow and stuff like that. Or, you know, it was also fueled by drafting classes, you know, taking those early on, like in high school and that type of thing. And, later on, you know, sort of encouragement, you know, I looked at, you know, going to university in architecture and construction management. So that passion just kind of, I just kind of continued to fuel it through the various different types of either education or, or work programs or just, you know, just kind of being in that space was kind of exciting and, and, a, and a great thing for me.
0: Did you have any mentorship type of relationships growing up, going through that? I just, I think of, you know, a lot of the folks that I talk to that have been, and and I wasn't as lucky or blessed enough to have been involved in this as you know from a very young age. I, I started in my thirties, so when I talk to people that have been doing it from from the beginning, there's so, usually somebody in their life, an uncle or their dad was in it, or somebody that kind of like nudged them in the direction. You know, that's a that's kind of a broad statement. I want to go build city blocks. Well, like. How do you know at 15 what your next step is to get towards building city blocks?
1: You know, I I think the the genesis for it, and this might sound a little crazy, but the genesis for it was my uncle was a deep sea welder. And so he was one of the welders on the Bay Bridge. And so if if you ever think of like old cartoons and you see the person that's going underwater with the big tank and they kind of open the little screen right here and you see the little round (laughs) Paris screen or whatever. And it's this round like, you know, contraption. Well, at my grandmother's house, he used to have one of his and we used to walk by it every day. And I was constantly fascinated by the fact that, you know, you know, I thought it was like, you know, living history. My uncle was was actually a deep sea welder on the Bay Bridge, right? And that was the helmet that he used, you know, to go underwater. And then I had another uncle that actually did the renovations and things like that. So, so just kind of getting that family experience of somebody just actually doing these great things and, and, and things that, you know, you could actually, I mean, you could drive over that bridge every day, right? Sure. Uh, and just knowing, you know, he was sort of a part of that history, just kind of fueled my drive to take it to that next level and do something special.
0: So once you got through the education, assuming you're through, you know, we're all continuing our education, but mm-hmm. what was your first kind of like action step, your, your first big project
1: in, in the development construction space? From a construction perspective, my, my first big project was probably the Oakland Federal Building Project, which is a two, two tower project right in downtown Oakland. And that was on the construction management side. But then personally on my own side, you know, I also decided, OK, well, you can, you know, you work work with, you know, large firms doing these larger construction. Well, how do you do it on your own? So I went out and started buying single family homes um, and things okay. like that and sort of taking that knowledge of, OK, well, you can, you know, work on a team constructing these large structures, but can you lay tile? You know, can you fix (laughs) it? Can you fix a furnace? Can you manage your own units and and that type of thing? So that really got me into this mode of of managing, you know, the smaller units, -units, multi-units, single family houses and things like that. So it was kind of a multi-pronged approach where I knew, okay, well, you you can do the big, larger construction things, but can you also do the smaller things as well?
0: Right. And I've met several people that can't. I hope he never hears this, but so my dad has a background in construction management and uh-huh. he is—he has been the vice president of a big, huge company and managed these, you know, big multimillion dollar projects. But, you know, I've asked him to like oversee a rehab of a single family house. Yeah. And it's, it's a completely different world, you know? It
1: is.
0: One of the hard disconnects for him, I found was the type of construction folks you're dealing with, the caliber of the contractors, you know, on his multi-million dollar projects that he was managing for that company, you know, those were like rock solid guys. They were there where they said they were going to, they completed the projects when they said they were going to on a scheduled budget with, uh, with these guys I had working on these rehab in these houses, they'd show up about once every three days, two hours late and, and just pulling his hair out.
1: Yep. They basically show up when they want to show up. But I think the transfer that's very important, whether you're doing the large projects or where you're doing the small projects, is really three things. And I take this into any of my acquisition of multifamily because I'm doing the multifamily acquisitions, you know, 100 plus units, or whether it's the development of projects or whether it's building 300 units or so. You got to really understand what your scope, your budget and schedule is for that undertaking, right? And all three are not going to dominate. And that's important to know. You may have a project that has a very tight timeline, like it has to be done in two months. Well, that, that means something else has to give. Your scope may have to give, it may ha- it may be slimmed down. Your budget may increase, or, or, and those other things are kind of tails. But I don't think you can have a project, and and, and I'd love to hear from your viewers on this, where, where all three dominate. So, so something has it down. Maybe, maybe it's budget. Maybe your budget is tight. Budget.
0: I have experienced that exact phenomenon the way you described it. And I can think of like every project I've worked on and there's always a lead. There's always there either timing's the most important, budget's the most important, or scope is the most important. And the other two just kind of got to like mold to fit into whatever that, that lead yeah role is. And you know, I can identify in my mind projects that fit all three buckets where, you know, one of them the time was the most important, one of them mm-hmm. the budget was the most important. And one mm-hmm. of them was the scope. It just had to end up right. So I can definitely agree with that statement. And I've never heard that concept said out loud before. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to hear you shine light on it.
1: Yeah. Away. yeah I, I think that that's really important because, you know, for example, I've been fortunate enough over the last five years to build over 1,300 units of student housing and multifamily housing in four different states, right? And primarily, schedule is usually what's the biggest driver, right? Because if you have a project, particularly student housing that's gonna end, let's say June 1, well, you have to end June 1 because the students are gonna come in and move (laughs) in August 1, right? And so (laughs) if you're not ready June 1 for them to move in August 1,
0: lost yes, a whole man. year.
1: <laughs> you missed a whole year. So yeah. your asset management, investment management, leasing, and then operations and all those guys are all geared up. And then you missed the mark and they're, they're screaming at you, right? Sure, um, sure. I could probably do a whole show on, on how to get student housing up and running in time through the pre-development, entitlement, construction, asset management, you know, that whole process. But again, getting back to what you asked, those, those three things in anybody that's doing any type of project, whether you have the, you know, one truck bandit that's just doing your fences and your, <laughs> and cutting your yards or whether you're, you know, doing a 14-story tower, you do need to understand those three facets, scope, budget, and schedule and how that's going to affect, you know, the outcome of your, of your job.
0: So you mentioned you've developed a good bit of student housing. And then you also mentioned acquiring 100 plus unit apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. What is your focus? Is some of that something you've done for maybe another company you you work for? Kind of break that down a little bit for us.
1: Well, the focus at this point, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I've actually been thinking about this build versus buy, right? And it's very market specific. So mm-hmm. you go into certain markets and, and you might be able to buy a particular property for, let's say, 75K, $75,000 a door. You know? and, there, and there are some markets that are still out there that's like that, some a little bit less. But then you have to think about, well, how much renovation do you have to do that to bring that value up? You know, from 75K a door, you know, to, you know, in five years time to you want to get to, you know, if you're buying at a five cap, you want to you get to maybe a 5.5 cap or something else. How do you bring that value up, right? And at 75k a door, there may be a lot of work there. Let's say you, you, you build it. Maybe building it, it might be at 120, dollars $130,000 a door, right? So you as a developer, you as an investor, really need to understand which route you want to be in. And myself, I'm looking at having built that product. I'm actually looking now at the acquisition. So now I'm looking in various select cities that fit a particular mold, that fit a particular cash on cash return uh, for my investors, a particular IRR, particular earnings multiple, and an amount that makes sense. So I'm looking at acquisitions of you know the 100 plus units and, and so
0: on. Would you say that the material cost over the last year has, has helped drive that decision for you? And do you have any comments on it seems that material has has skyrocketed since the
1: beginning of 2020. That's for sure. That's another one of those factors that you have to take into consideration with the build versus buy sort of analysis, right? So if you already set on, oh, I'm going to move forward and build, you do need to understand what the risks are. So as you start to, let's say you got a, a $35 million project, You know, how long will that $35 million hold? You know, what type of contract do you have with either a general contractor or maybe you're multi-priming it and have multiple subcontractors? And what risk do you have with materials? For example, let's say you have a framer, a mechanical contractor, electrical, and a plumbing. Well, for that framer, what if the cost of lumber goes up, right? That's slowly starting to happen if you look at the cost of lumber just in the last 12 months it's rose a lot and then for your mechanical contractors you know the cost of materials are those materials going up whether it's your hvac systems and things like that or uh, your plumbing finishes is the cost of finishes coming out of are they coming from overseas and is there a risk there so so those are things that you really have to look into um, as it relates to doing those development projects is material cost increases. Another area of risk is, is the labor cost increase. You know, you, you hear a lot kind of in the news about, you know, minimum wages changing and things like sure. that. Well, how will that affect you over the life of your particular project? Let's say you have a 12-month project and, and there's some changes there. Do you have that locked in? So that's another factor that you do have to think about as it relates to these long-term development projects or even the renovation projects too.
0: So I've got a question because I do, like you mentioned, the traditional syndications where we just buy and renovate apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I had somebody come over yesterday and pitch a development project to me and they wanted my help raising capital for it. And and in my mind, and I've never done that, I have zero experience with development, but in, in my mind, it seemed riskier because... With the projects we buy, they're cash flow in day one. So it's like a performing mm-hmm. asset. You know, yeah. I feel like that could like kind of waver a lot more storms. With a development project, you're not cash flowing for a good period of time, um, which to me would appear more risky. I've, I've also heard that they're obviously a much higher payoff when they do come through. So yeah. can you give us a little breakdown of like, the risk and the returns on a development project versus a traditional, you know, value add syndication on a multifamily.
1: Yeah, so so you you've heard of the, the risk versus return sort of analogy, sure. right? So the more the risk, you know, the higher returns. So a construction, you know, a multifamily construction project. Let's say you're building, you know, 100, 100 units or so, right? So there's gonna be a lot of risks with that. And it depends on when you get in the deal. That's another important piece, right? But nevertheless, let's say it's 100 units that you're building, it's gonna be a higher cost. You're right, you're gonna have probably zero cash flows for at least you know, zero, 18 months, depending on that. But your return overall should be higher for that project because there's a lot more risk versus going on buying 100 units your return might be a little bit lower. And it goes with the risk. A, the product's already built. You're not digging in the ground for the most part. Uh, you're not worried about utilities and building risk. You're not worried about permits. insurance risk and, and materials and labor and all those other things we just talked about. So your risk profile goes down. So your return, you can you can forecast You know, return. You can still get double-digit returns, but multifamily might be a IRR, let's say 15 to 20. Just mm-hmm. just start out round numbers. Construction might be between twenty and thirty, and I'm just talking IRRs. And I know there's a lot of others. Uh, but I'm trying to keep it real simple here from, yeah. from a finance and, metric uh, perspective.
0: One hundred percent. That was the that was the answer I was looking for. So I, okay. I know like you know we target fifteen to twenty IRR on our projects. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my question would be like if we were to assume more risk, the more risk that is associated with. The development, what type of return premium could we expect for something like that? And I think sure. your answer is you know, it goes up to thirty percent,
1: definitely. And there are other pieces that you you can you can fold into that, but I'd say sort of roughly, I'd say it fits in that in that ballpark.
0: Awesome. So, what exactly are you out there looking for today? You mentioned you have certain targets, certain markets. What kind of projects are are you really aiming to do for the future?
1: For the future, we're willing to, we are looking at multifamily acquisitions, sort of vintage 70s, 80s built build product that we can go in, do a medium to light value add, really help build up the, and I believe in three things now, and I'll say it in context, really help build up the property itself, which will improve the community because 100 plus unit is, is really a community. and then. We're looking to collaborate with investors on those products. And then at the same time, looking to bring the cash flow from that to our investors as well. But specifically is we are looking at the 100 plus unit multifamily value adds in various cities, cities like northern and southern Colorado, like above above and below Denver. You know, that would be like the Colorado Springs, Memphis, Tennessee's of the world. How did you pick those markets? Well, one of the things that we we did was we really studied like 100 MSAs or so. And in those particular MSAs looked at things like a growing population, single family home growth, crime rate, the demographics. We also looked at the rent to income ratio. You want to be in an area where people can comfortably afford it. And And that's a key factor. You look at, you know, people in the Bay Area, they're probably paying over 40, uh, some cases, I dare to say, for rent, 40 to 50 percent of their incomes are expensive in, in certain areas in many uh, cities. So, you know, we look to places where people can, you know, be comfortable. And so those are kind of the metrics. Those are the factors. So then when you start looking at different cities, you know, you can kind of look, OK, what's your crime rate? You know, what's your population growth? What industries are there? Rent to income ratios, you know, census data that really tells a story about what that area is and what's going on there. Awesome.
0: If you had to share one thing with our our listeners that you believe your unique experience offers, what would that be?
1: I won't call it a superpower, but the ability to really x-ray a building, right? And to look at a structure and be able to understand how it was built, maybe not know when it was built, but also gauge what issues might come along with that, right? So when you're going out doing these acquisitions, really kind of having in my head a checklist of the renovations that are required based on that structure, based on where it is.
0: Awesome. Real quick, I want to hop to our radio round to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Just three quick questions. First one is, what's your favorite book?
1: You know, I'd say my favorite book is a book that, you know, I had not, I don't know if I got it from, from school or whatever. It's it's by A.D. Kessler. Um, It's called A Fortune at Your Feet, and it's about how you can get rich, stay rich, and enjoy being rich with creative real estate. And it was just an interesting book, and there's a whole lot of different things in it that that talks about uh, different concepts of no money down or or buying property here or different property and buying strategies. It's an old book, but I find that I refer back to it quite often.
0: Awesome. I haven't heard of that. I'm going to have to check it out. What's your favorite quote?
1: My favorite quote is know your lane, know your game, and act accordingly.
0: Awesome. And that that's a Justin Smith original, correct?
1: <laughs> that that's an that's an original. I'll stick Tra- with that.
0: Trademarked and copyrighted.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: What is your favorite thing to do outside of work?
1: You know, I like um Walking and hiking the hills, you know, I'm fortunate and blessed enough that the Bay Area has tons of places where you can just kind of get out and walk.
0: I get jealous every time I interview <laughs> somebody from California and ask this question because they just go on and on about all the wonderful outdoor activities that you can enjoy <laughs> in the California hills.
1: I mean, you know, I mean, you really have to take advantage, you know, you know whether you're, you're in the California Hills or, or whether you're in the flat lands of the areas that, that you're part of, you just, you know, have to enjoy it. I had the fortune, I had the opportunity to, you know, do a building project in Boise, Idaho. And during a certain part of the year, everyone would float the river, right? And so yeah. I missed that I didn't get that opportunity, but I did, you know, rent a bike and just kind of ride around the area. So, really, wherever you are, you know, if you have that opportunity to get out and smell the ocean, smell the hills, smell the water, or walk the land, you know, it's just a great opportunity to do so wherever you are.
0: Absolutely. So, how can our listeners find out more about you, get to know you, find out about the projects you're working on, or keep in touch?
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Great question. Through my website, it's realequity.com, and that's R E L Equity dot com is probably the best way i got a couple of uh, ways to reach me there uh by email info at is also a good way to uh reach me and then i think i even have a, a phone number there that they can uh, reach me at on, on that site as well
0: awesome well justin thank you so much for joining us i i really enjoyed our talk i really enjoyed getting to learn a little bit more about construction we very rarely have guests with uh as ample construction experience as you. So it was definitely an educational show. Glad we got to meet you and look forward to keeping up with you on the rest of your journey.
1: All right, Sterling, I appreciate you. Thank you to you and all your rent roll radio listeners. So feel free. If folks got questions, you know, they can hit you up or they can call me up or whatever, but let's keep this thing going.
0: Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at capital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.